This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem drops the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown the hell is frozen over. of the 2022 season. And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Oh, baby! Welcome in Saints fans. It is Tuesday afternoon. The Saints are 1-0. The Falcons are still the Falcons. And we're going to kind of dive in to a lot from that game. You know, we're going to we have a couple days to digest it. Now we're going to react to it. I am Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer and obviously host of this program as you know, you haven't heard his voice. You haven't seen him on the YouTube channel. The last couple podcasts, Steve Geller is feeling under the weather. So, you know, send Steve your well wishes. He's he's uh, he's bedridden today. Uh, hopefully we can get him back later in the week for, uh, you know, he's he's questionable, you know, but uh, we'll see. We'll see if he can, he can shake that tag and get back. But for today, I do have a special guest coming in the back half of the show or the second and third segment of the show. We have Mike Haas, the voice of the saints who, uh, you know, he had a heck of a time calling that bizarre game that felt like it ended five different times. We're going to talk about, you know, his standouts on offense, his standouts on defense, you know, what he thinks about this team going forward, facing the bucks. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. So stick around for that. It's going to come after the first commercial break, but in this first segment, I'm going to fly solo here and, I'm going to kind of do a live film study of, you know, I clipped all of Jameis Winston's throws and we're going to kind of go through it. So this is live on the YouTube channel. If you're listening, it might seem a little strange. We're just going to see how it goes. We're going to see if anyone likes it. If it's unsuccessful, you know, we'll try something else. If it's successful, maybe this is something we can do every week. Either way, let's kind of get it going. If you're listening to this and you're like, man, I wish I could see this. I wish I could watch the tape. Go check out our YouTube channel. It's WWL Sports. You ring the bell, you know, we're it's we're still kind of figuring out the schedule so it is a little a little all over the place in terms of when we record and how we do this but we're going to try to nail down a more regular recording time recording days so that you can keep up with both the podcast on the on the on the audio apps and the podcast on the youtube um but let's get this started 
before we get into this, I did want to, I did want to highlight what Dennis Allen said about the offensive line specifically, because coming out of that game, you know, I was loud saying, you know, this was awful. This was awful blocking. This was awful protection. You know, I, I give Jameis a lot of credit for avoiding turnovers and not, you know, making bad decisions because he was under duress. Um, but, you know, I think going over the tape, we did see him miss a few throws, miss a few reads. Um, I think he got happy feet a little bit because the because the pressure was so intense at times. And, uh, you know, I think he got he's going to get better. I think he, there was a little rust involved on both the pass catcher and the quarterback side. Um, but we're going to get into that. But this is what Dennis Allen had to say. You know, actually, I thought the pass protection was actually pretty solid overall. We had a couple of uh, we had a couple of you know, miscues in terms of, you know, identifying on the protection. Um, and there was a couple of plays where maybe we were a little deep in the pocket, maybe we held on to it a little bit. I mean, um, there's a, here's the thing. When you talk about pass protection, uh, there's a, there's a ton of different variables that, that, that go into it. And, and typically the first thing is everybody starts to talk about the offensive line and things of that nature. But um, there's a lot of different elements that are involved in that receivers running the proper route at the right depth, quarterback getting to the right depth, getting rid of the ball, uh, backs in protection. So there's a lot of different things that go involved in that. Um, I don't think we were as clean as we needed to be um, early in the game, uh, particularly in the first half. Uh, but I felt like, you know, as the game went on, I thought we got a little bit better. So, yeah, I think there's a few things going on there. One, the protection is a way more complex thing than just saying, okay, you five guys go and block those four guys. And it's all going to work out. The quarterback's going to stand back there. He's going to throw it. You know, the the there's complex blitz schemes. There's communication that has to happen. You have to know who you're going to double team. You have to know who's going to pass off who to who. The running back needs to know where he's picking up the blitz, what lane he's responsible for. The quarterback has to be setting that. He has to be identifying the mic. He has to be identifying where the hot route is, where the blitzers are coming from, where the pressure's coming from. If you are overloaded anywhere, he needs to set that protection. And I think... When you saw the, the offensive line struggle the way that it did, a lot of those things did not go right. So it's it's more than just saying, okay, this offensive line is overmatched. They don't have anything, right? So I, th- I, I, I appreciate what he said there, and I think Dennis Allen is correct. I also think it is, does not behoove a coach to throw its offensive line under the bus after week one, right? And the, the quarterback is always going to be the most put upon in terms of responsibility. And so that's where you're going to center your critique. And that's, Jameis is going to accept that, right? He's going to say, you know, I could have done more. And, and I think there were, there were elements when you go back through it, you'll see that. Um, But yeah, I think that's, that's a lot of it. Caesar Ruiz needs to be better in one-on-one matchups. And I think you're going to see them kind of shift a little more of the help his way, but you know, it's, it's not, it's never good when you have to do that. Uh, So Hopefully this was kind of a one game anomaly and what we saw in the preseason starts to show a little more for him, but either way, um, let's kind of get into the plays. This is the first pass of the game. And what you're going to see a lot of here is bluffed cover two. So when you're talking about cover two, you have two deep safety. So you're going to bluff middle of the field open, but in reality, you Jameis saw a lot of cover three and cover one in the middle of the field closed which forces you to to have to attack the top and the bottom here you can use you can use sevens you can get to the edge um but when it's cover three 
you know, you're really limited in what you can do in over the top, but it does allow for a lot of options in the middle of the field. And I think in this game in particular, you saw Jameis um, struggle to identify the late change in the secondary. And it's not something that he can't do. He did it much better later in the game. It's just first game of the year. You didn't get many preseason reps. You know, he only played, he hadn't, he hasn't played since week seven, week eight of last year. And I think he's had some rust and the reads were a little slow. Um, and you'll see that in a lot of these situations. There's, there are people open here, right? There's, there's space here. This throw can be made. Michael Thomas is open, but as you can see, someone gets through, you do have a rush and you know, he's not able to kind of take that time in the pocket. And this is where, when you see this happening over and over again, this is where later in the game, you know, this, there's really not a ton you could have got done here. You could have made a very difficult throw. He pulled it down and he ran with it. And you can be critical of Jameis for, you know, maybe being a little slow on reads and maybe being a little off target on throws. But I think this is this play is an example of, you know, Everyone tells me I'm this turnover machine. Everyone tells me that I make all these terrible decisions and I'm just going to eat this ball and pick up three, four, five yards on the ground because it does not make sense to take a risky throw at this point in the game. At this point, it's zero, zero. You know, you're, you're just trying to make positive strides. And I think this was the smart move. But when you, when you spend the entire game on the run, you know, it starts to, it starts to impact you. Um, so, you know, we don't need to look too much at this one. So we'll go to the next play again. So you can see there's no disguise here, but it is some cover one. Um, and you can tell it's cover one because you have man on the outside. You get pressure in really early. You know, he's not able to kind of survey, go through his reads. This wasn't a great throw, but this is a very difficult throw. You know, you, you have to keep it outside because if you leave this ball inside, you know, it's going to get taken to the house, right? So you have to be careful there. And see, so the only place you can deliver the ball is right here. You know, this is a tight end. He's Juwan Johnson. He's an athletic tight end, but he's still a tight end. So, you know, you the expectation is he can go get it. You know, it wasn't a perfect throw. This is the second pass of the game. And, you know, it's a situation where I think you're trying to avoid turnovers. Got play action here. This was the first pass to Michael Thomas that, you know, it kind of looked like they're a little off. You know, Mike's coming out of his break and... Jameis has already thrown the ball, right? He gets, a, he gets a lot of contact here. You know, he's fighting through it. And it's a situation where this is where the defense is trying to throw you off your timing. He's trying to kind of make you have to adjust in real time. And I think that down the road, as you see these two guys, and even in this game, play more together, you'll get a better, they'll get a better kind of read of, okay, this is where he's trying to, He's trying to beat man press coverage. And so you need to give him a little, just an extra beat to do that. But in this instance, the ball is thrown before he's able to kind of turn and locate it. The ball's already out of Jameis' hands. And you want to throw with anticipation, but you need to allow the receiver to get there. And this is what he didn't do here. You know, this is a high ball. He could have caught it, but you need to, if you're Jameis, you have, you have protection here and you want to just give him that chance to kind of set. And he wasn't able to do that. And, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough because you want to get the ball out there in time. You don't want to be late. You know, later in the season, I don't think he misses that throw. Um, later in the game, he didn't miss that throw. Again, more cover one, right? Or more more single high safety, you know, middle of the field closed. So you got to do something on the edges. This is an example, you know, as Dennis Allen pointed out, 
your protection is not just protection, right? Sometimes the receivers don't do their job right. Sometimes the running back doesn't do their job right, and they hold the ball longer than you want to. This is an example of I don't know what the heck happened here, but I can assure you they did not design this play for Mike Thomas and Marquez Callaway to be running right next to each other <laughs> down the field, but that's what you have happen here. Like this, this is not a play design. You do not design plays for two pass catchers to be within two yards of each other down the field, right? And so if this is where you're considering going with the ball, if you're getting pressure and you're trying to get the ball out, this is not even an option. So you are here looking at T- Taysom and uh, I think that might be Landry. And so one of those guys messed up, <laughs> right? One of these two players is not supposed to be here. And I would guess it's Callaway because I think what this play is trying to do, use kind of that natural rub and that leverage to get Callaway to the post and then Thomas coming in underneath him so that you might clear that space and have a, and have a free shot. And you can tell this is where Jameis is looking. That's where he wants to go. Somebody screwed up. Anyway, so you, you can't really do what you were trying to do because there was a mistake in, in the wide receiver room, right? So the protection isn't perfect, but you're holding the ball longer than you want to because there was a mistake downfield. And so that's tough. Moving on. Same drive. This is a blitz that wasn't picked up. You know, Jameis gets the ball out. He doesn't make a bad decision. But yeah, this is a blitz that you just didn't pick up. So you're double teaming the defensive tackle and no one picks up the <clears throat> either blitzer, right? So yeah, the, the back got caught up in this wash, right? So that's an example of, you know, someone's got to set that protection. Someone's got to ID the blitz and set your back where he needs to go. The back's also got to identify it. He's got to pick up one of these blitzers and he wasn't able to do it. You know, the other question is, okay, you know, there's a hot route here. So where was it? right? Who are you trying to get this ball to? So you see pressure? No one's open, right? This is this is tough. You know, so Jameis does the only thing he can, he throws it away. Another cover one or single high. Jameis dumps it off to Kamara. Um, now, this is something that I don't think you saw enough. You want to see more little dump offs to Kamara. I think Kamara was dealing with a rib injury. I don't know when he got the injury, but it was definitely affecting him later in the game. So, you know, you, you got to wonder how limited he was right? That two-point conversion to Mark Ingram late in the game. Uh, that seems to me like a situation you want Alvin on the field, right? In a two-point conversion to tie the game, you want Alvin on the field. So I think his rib injury was definitely impacting him to the point that he couldn't play that he couldn't play to the level he wanted to in this game. It's just a question of when he got it. So this is an example of happy feet, right? So you've, you've already gotten hit several times in the pocket and James bails way too early here and he misses a big opportunity. So this is actually, this protection is actually not terrible. Like you can step up here and you have options, right? You can either stand in the pocket and deliver a ball or you can step up and you have options. I mean, this was not a situation where there were people that were blanketed, but this is an example of, I think, you know, you're getting hit, you're getting hit, you're getting hit and you're just trying to make a play. You're trying to stay on your feet and you weren't able to do it. So this was something that I think was corrected in the second half. You know, there's no reason you're trying to run for this. You know, you let the receivers do their job. You got to pick a side, right? You either want a guy who's going to take risks in the passing game or a guy who is going to protect the ball and take calculated risks, not put the ball in harm's way. And so people are saying, oh, he needs to get the ball out faster. He needs to get the ball out faster. Well, if you want to see a guy who's going to throw a bunch of interceptions, that's great. But I think Jameis has heard from enough people telling him you know, protect the ball, protect the ball, make better decisions. 
And so a better, safer decision when you have an elite defense is to eat the ball and survive, live to play another down. Um, and, then, and I think that's what a lot of this was in the first half. You know, you had good protection here for the, probably the first time all game. And he's able to find Jarvis. James Hurst pancakes a dude. Alvin leaks out. And you're able to find Jarvis downfield. And I think this is what you'll end up seeing for Jameis a lot, is whatever they're showing, you're not going to see it. You're actually going to see them roll into something late. And so they're showing cover two. And then, no, it's cover one. You have a clock in your head here. You have a clock in your head. And that clock speeds up when you are expecting to get hit, right? He has space here. He has time. He can slide in the pocket. He can, he can extend, but he's running. He's running for his life. And, you know, you understand when, when you, when you get hit four or five times in the pocket, all of a sudden, you know, that clock, whether it's a two second clock, whether it's a two and a half second clock, shave a half second off of it because <laughs> you're just, you're, you're anticipating rather than kind of trusting. Um, and that's what, that's what the story of the first half was. This is the one that, um, you know, when I posted it on Twitter, everyone lost their mind because this is the play that Cesar Ruiz gets kind of just annihilated by Grady Jarrett. And yeah, I think this is a, uh, this is a learning moment for the saints where you're double teaming and helping the Andrews Pete side. Uh, but you, <laughs> you needed to help to Caesar's side. And I think that's something that you can, you can fix. You can fix that and it'll, you'll fix that by helping to Cesar Ruiz rather than Andres Pete. So this is into the second half. That was Chris Olave's catch. And he does this little Zion walk. I don't know if you all have noticed this. Uh, he did this after his touchdown too. He does this little like duck, duck walk after his catches, which is like the Zion thing. Okay. You know, this is where Jameis is getting into a bit of a rhythm, right? He finds Chris Olave. He finds Jarvis Landry. You know, he, they're, they're, the tempo is better. You know, you're giving your offensive line a, a target. You're throwing the ball. And, you know, they're picking up better. This was, a, this was an example of very good protection. So you're rushing four, and you have a stunt coming in. Alvin sees it. He picks it up. Boom. And you're able to get the ball out to Mike Thomas. Right. That's that's the timing. That's the continuity. That's just the communication that you need to see. Play action down the field. You know, this is that first one that that Jameis forced Mike to slip on. Yeah, I think somewhere Sean Payton is muttering about the wrong cleats. Um, but this is also just a bad throw by Jameis. I don't know what he was uh, if he was trying to go back shoulder here. Um, but you know, it's it's not it's not the throw, right? And I also think you're forcing the ball to Mike here when you shouldn't be. There's another sack. This is an example where they didn't pick up the blitz. One of these two guys has got to take the interior rusher, the inside rusher. Um, it's probably Alvin, right? You're not going to have Alvin brought block an end. So I think this was a this was an Alvin Kamara mix up where James Hurst is going outside and Alvin Kamara is going inside. But you need to communicate before this play. You know, if this guy comes, who's picking him up? And, you know, that's that's going to be on Jameis. It's going to be on Alvin. It's going to be on James. You got to communicate. You got to communicate better than that. And they just didn't. And so this guy comes in completely unblocked and uh, eats Jameis's lunch. I say that too much, but it's what happened. Like what Dennis was saying, it's, it's not just about winning one-on-one -on -one offensive line matchups. You have to be able to identify situations, get people in the right positions – 
and block the way you need to. And they just weren't able to do that in the first three quarters of this game. Good protection. Blitz comes in late. I think this is on, this one is on Mark. So look at the back. Like this, you're in the hole. You're where you need to be, but he doesn't see the he doesn't see the blitz. He doesn't know he's coming. Right? This should get picked up. There is no reason that didn't get picked up. It's on Mark, right? It is on, it's not on the offensive line. You know, we, we see these plays and we assume the offensive line is what, what, what messed up. This is just Mark Ingram not doing his job, you know? And, and uh, he doubles down on this by making a nice play and getting downfield and then fumbling. This was one of the worst running back plays I've ever seen. I mean, the only reason he has the ball in his hands is because he, he threw an Olay block on a blitzer he didn't see. So he's coming in to try to help on this interior rush. But you've got to be, you got to see the blitz coming in, in the gap that you're supposed to be minding, and he doesn't. And so, yeah. And Jameis does a good job to get the ball to him, and then he fumbles it. You know, and, and I said prior to the season that, I, you know, I had concerns about Mark Ingram in that RB2 spot. If you end up having to rely on him a ton, you know, that's, that's tough. 985 Live, do you think re-signing Murray today means that Kamara might not play Sunday? I mean, I think it's possible. I don't think you re-signed Latavius because he's going to be your Alvin Kamara replacement because you could have done that a long time ago if you felt like that was the best route. But I do think it's just running back depth. And you are, you know, he's dealing with an injury. So if he misses time, you might need that extra player. But he's not going to be the guy who fills in. Mark is the guy who's going to fill in. And it's just, a, you know, Mark has to be better than that. Mark is a veteran. And, you know, you can't be missing blitz pickups and fumbling at a key point in the game, you know, this is, you're in your own territory, right? This is, this was one of the worst plays I've seen in a while. And, you know, Marcus may kind of made it so it didn't hurt the team that much by punching the ball out in the red zone, but yeah, he's got to be better. This is a point in the game, right? You wonder, so why, why does Jameis get better as the game goes on? Well, a lot of the disguise that they were running in the first half is no longer effective because you've seen it enough times. And this time, you know, he's not going to get baited by that cover two look and that late roll into cover one or cover three. And so he, he knows, okay, once Jarvis clears this kind of flat defender or this uh, low defender, he's going to have that space. And so, you know, he's able to throw with anticipation that he wasn't able to in the first half and just get it up the seam, get down the four yard line. And then, you know, this is just a, okay, you're going to cover Mike Thomas one-on-one. I'm going to make you pay for that. You know, this nothing, nothing complicated here. It's just a fade. And, uh, you know, Mike does what Mike does. Nice throw. Great catch. Mike throws it in the stance. This is the two-point conversion to Olave. And so on that drive, you started with Juwan up the sideline. Then you hit Alvin for 15 yards and a little check down. You hit Jarvis up the seam down on the four-yard line. You hit Mike Thomas on a fade for a touchdown, and then you hit Chris Olave for a two-point conversion. Those are the five weapons that you're looking at in the preseason. You're looking at as you get on the field. You're like, these are the guys who have to make an impact. Okay, so this is the next drive. This is also a touchdown drive. Not quite as efficient, but you know, you start it with that throw to Chris Olave. It's good work. And and here's another example of you know what I think Jameis did well in the second half, particularly was not. He has happy feet a little bit. He's bouncing around, 
but he's doing it in a way that, you know, he's staying within the pocket. He's keeping his eyes downfield. He's not turning his back to his receivers. You know, he's just extending a play. And uh, I think there's a Jarvis that he finds here. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a positive play, right? You know, it's just a hot route that he missed. That's fine. Get the ball out. Good protection. Gets it downfield. This is probably the best throw of the game that no one's talking about and the best catch. You know, again, you have cover one or you have single high, man-to-man on the outside. You know, the offensive line picks up the pressure and you're able to loft it over the top to Mike Thomas. You know, and this is where you start to see a rhythm with Jameis and Mike. And you start to identify the soft spots in this coverage. And that's Mike just settles in there and does a good job. It's another Jarvis Landry catch inside the 10. So or on, on all three of the Saints scoring plays in the fourth quarter, Jarvis made a key catch to set them up. Uh, so he had a catch down to the four, immediately preceding Mike Thomas's first touchdown. He had a catch down to the, I think that's the eight, immediately preceding Mike Thomas's second touchdown. And he had that 40-yard catch that we're going to see here in a minute to set up that game-winning field goal. So if you were, if you had expectations for what you know you might have hoped for in Jarvis Landry's first game, I think he exceeded them to to a level that you know I, I wasn't anticipating. And here's here's another you know you're going to play man-to-man with Mike Thomas on the outside. I'm going to make that hurt. Nice back shoulder throw, and you know if you can start to see these guys kind of develop that chemistry, you're going to be a lot happier with the results, and you're going to have you know, less, less frustrating early game performances. This is that 40 yard play, you know, and you saw all day, the offensive line was struggling. They're showing pressure here and you're keeping in the tight end or you pick up the rusher on the outside. They don't send the blitz and you pick everybody up. This is max protect. And you got three guys in the, in the, in the route combination. And for whatever reason, they, the safety is not working over the top on Jarvis early enough and you're able to just make that play that's just a ballsy throw in a big moment and uh and you got it done this was <laughs> this is the spike and then so this is the play when i talked about Jawan. what really impressed me was you know that that play to open the drive so you have a tight end who can go out wide and make it make an impact um on a go route but then you also have a guy who can line up in the slot and for Jameis. In this moment, this is second and 20. You need 15 yards on this play at minimum. If you end up at the 40, you're probably kicking it from the 40 because you're going to be third down and you're going to probably clock it. If you don't, then you have to go up and run a play with a running clock. And whatever happens after that, you know, you're at the mercy of a guy getting out of bounds or, you know, best case scenario you pick up the first down and then you got to get up and clock it and you're, and you're running out of time. Um, so to have the confidence in Jawan, it's simple. You know, he's just going to come up the seam and kind of break under. And this is where James finds it to, you wondered all the off season, you know, what kind of impact Juwan Johnson could make. Can he get better? Can he be a more reliable tight end? You know, we know he can catch the ball. We know he's a talented pass catcher. He's got to be a tight end. And I think that's where he was lost a bit last year where he was still kind of finding his way. But this is just a great route. He uses his body to shield the defender. And, you know, you get right where you need to be. And that set up that final um, kick by Will Lutz. And it was just a great moment, a great way to finish a game, even though it kind of got away from him at the end with the spike and the, and the well, both spikes, I think, were mistakes. 
I think the second spike again, right after that play, you spiked it. And uh, I don't think you wanted to, I think you wanted to run some clock. Um, but that was for a game to start that badly um, for a quarterback. And, you know, I think after four drives, he had more rushing yards than passing yards. I think he had eight rushing yards and seven passing yards. You don't usually see that type of turnaround in game. You see that from quarterbacks that don't get rattled, right? You don't you don't have that viral clip of Sam Darnold seeing ghosts, right? So, you know, you want to see a guy start better. You want to, I think if you have concerns about Jameis at this point, it's not about interceptions. I'm so tired of hearing about interceptions. What you saw in this game was, you know, almost an over-hesitance, but he's not putting the ball in danger. So we can stop talking about 30 interceptions. I don't need to hear about interceptions from four seasons ago. Um, but, you know, you want to see him identify protections and set protections better than he has. And I think last year, you probably had an easier time of doing that with Tehran, a guy who you trust to relay information and to, to make sure you're on the right page this year. You don't have that, right? I think McCoy is an excellent player. I think he's going to, he helps greatly in that regard, but I think that's where the learning curve is for this offensive line, for this quarterback, for these running backs is finding a way to communicate after not having Drew Brees. Not, now you don't have Sean Payton. Now you don't have Teron Armstead. So people have to step up and do that. And I think that's what you want to see change uh, heading into week two. All right, y'all, that's going to be it for that segment. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold. We're going to be joined by voice of the Saints, Mike Hoss, who's filling in for Steve Geller today. We're going to break down some of that craziness that happened at the end of the game with spikes and pack and, and penalties and zero seconds turning into two seconds and all this, all this nonsense. Uh, he saw it firsthand as he called the game alongside Deuce McAllister. Stick around for that on Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Inside Black and Gold. We're chugging along here into segment two. Like I told you before, Steve Geller is on bed rest. So filling in is the great Mike Haas, voice of the Saints here at WWL Radio. He was uh, kind enough to jump in on short notice and break down some of the action here from week one and going into week two against the Bucks. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. It's been, you wake up and you go, wait, did that happen? It's, it's Tuesday, but it still happened, right? We, It, it happened. They, they didn't put another two seconds on the clock, did they? So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad. Just to kind of set the scene here, uh, here's what it sounded like at the end of that game, which ended in a blocked kick. And even the blocked kick, even the blocked punt wasn't simple, right? It bounced right back right. into Bradley Pinion's arms. And so you're like, oh, right. what if he runs 90 yards? Right. 60 yards for a it touchdown? would not have surprised me at all. <laughs> anyway, here's what it sounded like on WWL. Saints Falcon game. Snap is down. Kick is up and it's blocked. It's blocked, but the Falcons get it. But now it's over. Now it's over. Now it's over. That's how you do it. Game's over. That's what I said. Congratulations, Dennis Allen. Welcome to the Saints Atlanta rivalry. I, I appreciate that, you know, you can hear um, Mark Romick saying, the game is over. <laughs> You're like, I know, finally. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I said, that's what she said. 
Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, you know, but you're right. When that ball bounced back to the Falcons, I went, oh, good gosh, please make this game end. Yeah, thankfully it went to Bradley Pinion. If it had gone to a more yeah. athletic player and they had like skirted around the edge and some, and he had to chase it down because you're not ready to, right. <laughs> to chase you're all You're all there. in on the block, right? You're like, all there's in a chance on the block. They, they're celebrating the block and they might not even notice that the guy right. caught the ball, but thankfully that's not the deal. But, you know, it's really kind of, and you can hear it in your voice, you can hear it in the call, that it was like, finally, this game that should have been over five different times is finally over. And, you know, it, it all kind of started with the, the spike. Right. Because until you got to the point where you could win the game, it still, it always felt like, okay, the Falcons are going to pull this out. They were ahead 24 to, I'm sorry, 26 to 10 going into, I think, the final 12 minutes of that game. Right. They scored in the fourth quarter to make yeah. it 26 10. And then, so the Saints got touchdown, a two-point conversion, which, by the way, was the first successful right. two-point conversion. And I, I do you know how many, how many it tries? Was, it was since 2018, I think it was Camara in 2018, I believe, was the one, the last time that it was successful. Yeah, I think they had gone, you know, they were in double digits of failed mm-hmm. two-point conversions, which for an offense that for that entire time was orchestrated by, you know, an offensive wizard, you would think they would got lucky. <laughs> right, right. Just get lucky but, once in a while. Yeah, and then Chris Olave ran a great route, got open. Yeah. But then, so that final drive, it starts with, you know, one of the most spectacular plays I have seen in a Saints game with Jameis having been just torn apart in the pocket all night. He sits back there and finds Jarvis Landry down the field. And then all hell breaks loose. Chaos ensues. The ref is like in the wash there, kind of getting stuck. And he's behind Dennis Allen. And, and, Here's what Dennis had to say uh, yesterday when we asked him about it. I would say, you know, when you kind of go back and you watch that play, and I'm standing right there, and clearly to me looks like Jarvis makes the catch, he's contacted, he's inbounds, um, and I'm saying clock it, which is what you would do in that situation. Um, and, And it's really not until... That when you watch the tape, the official's actually behind me um, that that ends up, you know, kind of saying that it's the clock stops. So, um, look, we got to do a better job as a coaching staff in, in that situation. Uh, starts with me, the communication uh, into the quarterback, um, the communication with me to Pete. You know, we got to do a better job there, and, and, and we will. And you got the spike call in quick. <laughs> It was it was chaos. I mean, I, I, when you think back now, you wonder what was did people on the sideline on the Saints sideline know that he was actually been had been ruled out of bounds because they went into this you know frantic move. One of the coaches actually was hugging Jarvis mm-hmm. on the sideline after the catch, and then you know it's just so you didn't know what was happening. I mean, it was just chaos, and then. When he spiked it, and this is, you know, Deuce does this so often. He just, he was like intentional grounding, lost it. I mean, he just went right into it. And I was like, what? What do you mean intentional grounding? You know, because I felt like everybody else at the clock, in fact, was running. Because they 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 got to the line so fast. Right. They did what they would, would do in a, in a do, pocket situation. Do, right. Did a great job. <laughs> and Atlanta didn't, you know, lumber around to get down there. They got down. 
So it all worked so perfectly against them, oddly. Well, and, and the thing is, like, you were at the 40-yard line there. You were not in field goal range. If you got in a field goal range, you might take your time and say, go ahead and kick it now. But at that point, you needed to run another play. So the only thing on DA and Jameis's mind is, okay, get this down. Because there is a ticking clock. And they were probably looking at the wrong clock if they saw a clock ticking down because the play clock starts. And so they just weren't in there about the same amount of time, right? It was about 40 seconds. And what might have happened is they looked up and saw the play clock ticking down and thought it was the game clock because um, they were about the same amount of time. You have a 40-second play clock. It was 40 seconds in the game. Anyway, that's just, a, that's just a theory. But, you know, we were talking about this before we came on. And, you know, the reason you call a spike there and you have a split second to make that decision is – DA is looking at the play. It happened on the same sideline. He's looking right at it. So he knows what the right call should have been, or at least what it appeared to be. And, and it wasn't. So it's like you got punished because the ref made a mistake and you were well, reacting like, gee, that never happens. Yeah. Right. But right. it's, it's weird it's, because it was like in reality, if you were aware of it, it was a gift, you know, like right. the Falcons would have been annoyed. Um, but, you know, and, and you asked me before we came on, like, you know, do I think it was the right call? And, you know, I don't even, I still, you know, we have a clip of it here and this is the best view I've seen to this point. And even in this, I don't know if he's touched. It looks like Casey Hayward has his hand on his back as he's going to the ground, but like one right way there. or another, like, yeah, the ref is in the wash. The ref can't see that the ref is guessing right. 100% guessing. Right. Dennis said, well, the guy's behind me, right? That's all like, what? Well, right, he's guessing. So if you're guessing, why are you guessing in that situation, seeing two guys go down who probably touched him, that he went down untouched, right? You are making a wild leap of faith on something you definitely did not see well. Um, and it's just a very strange thing. But, you know, I, I don't blame Dennis and Pete and everyone for assuming that that was the call, but... You know, I think that going forward, you're going to see a team that has a much different style of decision making in those final like moment, those final thrive uh, situations. Right. Because. Yeah. But I mean, how can you ever duplicate this nonsense insanity? Oh, you're you never going to see this again. Well, they, they, I mean, it's a perfect throw. Perfect catch. There's two guys there. I mean. I, I was wondering, is there anybody on the Saints sideline that knows the right call? Like, like that they were like, well, the clock stopped. You know, I, I, it, it all happened so fast from when Jarvis got up to when I went back to the line. I don't, I don't know what is the sideline screaming, clock it, clock it, clock it, or what? Everyone oh, was but, screaming, clock it. <laughs> I yeah. was screaming, clock it. And everyone but the ref, apparently, who stood there and I, I, I guess the best way to describe it would be smirked. Like right. he had this look on his face. Because Jameis is like, what are you talking about? Anyway, it was uh, it. I didn't think that officiating crew was great. You know, they had that really questionable call on Marshawn on that that driver on midfield, which yeah. like, sure, by the letter of the law, and that's what Da said. It's a it's a foul. But in in what world does a rookie get that call? Right. This was Drake London against an all-pro cornerback in Marshawn Lattimore. Well, you could call it every day. You could call it, it's like offensive holding. You could call that, you could call that every play. Almost, there's that five yards contact. Man, that's, that's abused. Yeah, and it just, I mean, for that call to be made in that moment, right, when the ball had no chance, it wasn't like he was the, even the intended target. It was just, 
I don't know. It, it was it was just one of seven plays. We can, I want to get into a bit more of it because the next thing that didn't make sense to me was so. First off, Jameis deserves all the credit in the world because that was such a frantic situation. And because of it, you were in second down and second and 20. So if you complete a pass short of the sticks, that's your only chance. Because if you want to clock it, then it's fourth down. And that's what happened. And he was able to find Jawan Johnson right at the line that you'd want to get to for Will Lutz. It was 51 yards, which you feel really comfortable with Will as long as it's, you know, 55 or under. Once you get over 55, then I think you start to get concerned. Um, but then they go out and spike it with 24 seconds left on the clock. And, you know, what, what were you in that moment? What were you saying? Because to me, it was like, what is going on? Like, why would you not at least either, either bring it down or what the more likely scenario is Atlanta calls it's one of its first timeout because they didn't call a timeout to ice Will Lutz. So they were trying to save their timeouts. So like, right. why would you, why would you not force them to use that timeout? I just think that was, you know, the, the first spike blunder I can understand, the second spike blunder I can't. And I think that's, if I was being critical of, of anything, it would be that because that's just an, not being aware of either the down or the, the time on the clock. They probably weren't aware of the down because the intentional grounding makes, makes for a loss of down. And I think right. that's, that's a rare situation where, you know, I can understand why you might not be, you know, you're just reacting and yeah. Right. And it's, he's made the completion. He's got it down there. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think they had ever any intention of running another play, a little quick out to get five minutes to stop the clock. It was always about, it seemed to me, spiking. But it was just about, I mean, we're reacting like everybody else, like, oh, too soon, too soon. You know, there just didn't seem to be the, the, the need for it. And, you know, but even still, I was like, gosh, they got that's a long way for this Falcon team to go. Uh you know, even with even with the spike at that point, right? What is it, 23 seconds, you know, that they mm-hmm. they had and kicked it out of the end zone. I'm thinking, well, what are they gonna do? You know, you got you got you gotta get to around midfield, you know, even then. So but with three I, plays, you with three timeouts, you have three plays that you can use the entire field. And you can right. go 30, 40 yards in three plays if you but I just did when I started when I saw the the if you look back now, it's easy because we know what three pass plays they did well. First off, it should have been picked off, right? The very the first pass. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, yeah. That's one of that's one of the nine things that could have ended the right. game. The and then easy the game should have ended. You know, like you said, the game ended four times, but and that was their kind of their shot at that that play. And then from that, other than that, then they it's this short little like you're playing right into the Saints' hands. And you're like, well, mathematically, they almost can't do. When I got to third down, I'm like, well, okay, well, if they do throw it deep, the clock's going to run out. They can't, they'd have to throw it short and get out of bounds. And then they're not too far away. There's only one way they can do it. And they got it. Penalty. Well, time back on the but clock. no, but they had a timeout. They, they, the, the third, the timeout you didn't force right. them to use. Right. But if they, if, what was it? Five or six seconds? How much time was left? Two. There was two seconds. And so the clock had gone down to zero and Brian Edwards, you know, showing off his Academy Awards chops with a great flop. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, flop. That he was a part of, he was he he initiated that, and then Marshawn got called for it. again. You know, this is a all pro defensive back who's getting called for these plays. But so the reason that they put two seconds back on the clock was because they had a timeout left to stop right. the clock with two seconds. If you force them to use it, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have a chance at all. So like 
if you lost that game. Sorry, just looking at the game book. I swear, after the game on Monday morning, I was like, I, I, I know I called the game. I had to go back to the game book and look at the fourth quarter again. It was insane. I was like, I don't remember. I remember, but I don't remember. Yeah, and, and if, you, if you had lost that game on that kick, right, if Young Hoku makes the kick of his life and the Saints end up losing, what would it have been, 29, 27? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that would have been something you look back at and say the, the, the X, like just not oh, knowing how to win a game lost you that game. And that's something that I think if it happens in week one, you kind of say, okay, you'll live with it. If it happens in week five, in week nine, in week 15, in the playoffs, then it's a, it's a big problem. It's big, so yeah. It's well, and and they, they won. I mean, they lose that game. I think clock management would be a, a, would be the topic of conversation this week, but because they won, it's a topic, but not the topic. Yeah, we're we're talking about it, <laughs> right? One take that is I I found funny because it's not actually true, is and I tweeted about this today. I saw a bunch of people saying, you know, if the Saints faced this situation last year, there's no way they would have made that comeback that record setting 16 point fourth quarter comeback. I've seen, I saw multiple people say this, except it's not true because they were in a worse situation last year. They were down 24 to set 24 to six with eight minutes left. So they were down more points with less time and came all the way back against the Falcons. And the only reason we're not talking about that as the record that this team almost matched sure. is because Cordell Patterson caught that long, bomb and they won on a field goal in the last second but it wasn't the offense that lost that game it was the defense and so this is more me saying like i understand this offense is worlds better the way they came back this year was probably a lot different but i'm not letting the falcons off the hook they can blow a big fourth quarter lead to anybody it's a gift i saw i was reading an article i think it's ralph marlborough and he, he 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 used falcon as kind of a verb. They got fal- they they falconed. They falconed. They, they falconed. I was like I was like that's pretty good. They falconed as as, as a verb. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine being a falcon fan? And I know there's not a, a ton, but can you just how do you how do you wake up on Monday and go it's okay? Seventeen games. We got sixteen. I mean, I just don't. I think you're like when's the next soccer game? You know, when do the Hawks start? I think that's just it's you know. It's tough. I think I said this on the last pod, which is like, you should never overreact to what you saw in week one. Like you should never overreact to the saints blowing out the Packers 38 to three because week one is so, so weird and so different and teams don't play the way they normally would, or they're just not ready. Uh, Except you can overreact if you're the Falcons, because this is your life now. This is, and And you're, so I, I told you about this before and here is a list of some of the blown leads they have had in the last several years, like going back to, 28-3 28-3 in the Super Bowl. Obviously, it's 28-3 lead, 238 left in the third quarter. Now, they also blew a 30-20 to lead against the then San Diego Chargers with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. So it's a 10-point lead with six minutes left. You blew that. That's reasonable, right? It's not no the end overtime, of the overtime, just regulation, no overtime. I believe it was regulation, but it could, it, you know, either way, you lost, right? So I'm not giving them a pass if it went to overtime. <laughs> That's right. Um, the, the worst probably against the Cowboys, I think this was two years ago, they led 39 to 24. They had a 15 point lead with four minutes and 57 seconds left in that game. Jeez. And they lost. I want to say this is the same season. 
they led the Bears 26 to 10 with six minutes and 22 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So same score as yesterday or on Sunday, and they blew that too. So this is <laughs> this is nothing new. Um, against the Bucks, they had a 24 to seven lead with 4:35 left in the third quarter, and then now you have 26 to 10 with about 11 minutes left in the game. So I just ah, you don't leave early at Falcons games. <laughs> no, but I I told you like if you just if I just told you the scenario, forget that you knew the Falcons. So there's a team that scores in the fourth quarter to go on top 26 to 10. And the fourth quarter stat where the Falcons had the ball for nine minutes and 35 seconds of a fourth quarter that they were leading 26 to 10. So almost mathematically, how do you, how, it's impossible to lose that game. You're leading 26-10, and you held the ball for almost 10 minutes of a 15-minute quarter, and you found a way to, you know, blow the lead? It's just hard to get that many possessions. But anyway, I, I just found that, that, when I heard that stat, I was just like, almost 10 minutes? Because I wasn't, they were three for three on third down. They hit all their stats looked like they were just, they scored three points to start, made up, made the first downs. And so, Marcus Mariota looked great. Yeah. He didn't have a lot of pressure. You know, he, he had a yeah. lot of time, a lot of time. And, that, you know, we were talking about this earlier, and, that, and that's with, you, with that read option. First off, if you run it well, and I think Jalen Hurts runs it as well as anybody. When they do run it well, I mean, it's, it's not impossible to defend, but it is difficult. Yeah. And then when you do run it well, like Mariota and this team did, and you don't stop it early, man, it becomes a guessing game. It's just, it's like, if you can stop it early, man, you, you got it. But if you don't feel like a cat chasing its tail. Okay. And so we'll, one more question on the, on this side of the break. And, you know, I want it to stay on the offensive side of the ball. If you had to pick like one standout, I think I know the answer to this. If you had to pick one standout on the offensive side of the ball, who would it be? Well, I mean, I would, I, to me, it's Mike Thomas. I mean, okay. I mean, Jarvis made the big catches, but you have to go back to how the game started for Mike, right? I mean, he, he, the two kind of poorly, the, one was behind him when he kind of tripped on it, but there weren't, it was like clearly these two had not had a preseason together, right? And yeah. so and so to me, the way that he was able, and Jameis too, both of them flip it, and the back shoulder throws were such bullets and such a great job by by Thomas and Man, when he when he when he gets mad, like when you see him get mad, I, I I'm like I'm in because I just you know he's nothing's gonna stop him. And so to me, and you, you could pick you know Jarvis as well. John Johnson made some big plays, but those mm-hmm. touchdowns by my Mike Thomas were kind of inspirational. Yeah, no, I I I, I would have said Jarvis, but yeah, I mean if you want to pick the most important player that stood out, it would definitely be Mike. I wasn't sure what to necessarily expect from Jarvis in this offense. I wasn't sure how he would coalesce with Mike in that they're both very similar players in their styles, but I was, I was impressed with how Jarvis operated down the field. I didn't expect him to be that much of a threat and maybe he won't be against teams with better secondaries. Um, But yeah, I mean that, that catch he had, down at the goal line was incredible. Um, that catch he had on that final drive was incredible. Um, and just 
it's going to be fun to watch these two guys all season long. That's I agree. Jarvis to me has a, this ability to find the. I mean, he's played for certainly so many years, but to find that soft spot because his catches are 19, 20, 21, 31, 40. They're not necessarily bombs, but he he just runs great routes, finds that soft spot, and boom, it's first down. I mean, he's just he's he's not necessarily contested. He just runs such great routes, and they're big passes. We saw that in the very first preseason game with James. I mean, there was like 19, 19, 20. And I, I think that's 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 what this team has really kind of lacked, is that, you know, not the seven-yard pass, but the 20-yard pass. And having him do that, man, you're right on the other side with Thomas and Alave, who to me looks so much seasoned than a He's rookie. So smooth. It's just oh my so gosh, just so, it just glides along. No doubt. Okay, we'll cut that segment off there. Again, you're listening to Inside Black and Gold. Make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. We're free on all the, all the podcast players, including the Odyssey app, so check that out. We're going to hit the break and come back with Mike Hoss. We're going to hit the defensive side of the ball because we haven't talked much about that yet. And uh, stick around. And we're back here for the final segment of this Wednesday edition of Inside Black and Gold. I'm here, Jeff Nowak, WBL Digital Sports Producer, alongside Mike Haas, Voice of the Saints, filling in for Steve Geller. Uh, send Steve your your well wishes. He's not feeling great. Yeah, get better, Steve. And uh, if any Game of the week, come down with an Tampa. this week, come on, who to blame? <laughs> but yeah, this I think this segment we can talk a lot more about the defense because I think more so than the offense which you struggled mightily on the offensive line, I think, in terms of communication, in terms of, you know, execution. I am more worried about the defense than I am the offense. Be- just because we have seen this movie over and over again when you face teams with mobile quarterbacks who run RPO zone read schemes, and they just have not been able to stop it. And, you know, when it was Jalen Hurts, you could say, okay, maybe it's just a Jalen Hurts thing. Maybe they just can't figure it out, and he's just really good in those matchups. But, I mean, we saw the exact same thing play out against Marcus Mariota. And for a team that's going to have to play the Ravens, the Cardinals, you know, with Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, you know, Joe Burrow is going to do a lot of the same stuff. Deshaun Watson, if he ends up being on that team in week 16, week 17, whatever week that is, you know, you, you're you going to have to figure something out in these matchups. And right now it's it's a concern. I agree. Just stopping the run in general. In 201 yards. And set up initially maybe by the RPO, but then it was just Patterson up up the middle, just just gaping holes. And we talked about this at camp, and that the Saints have would, would be such you know with the defensive ends that they have and the, the depth would be such great pass rushers. Well, that's only good if you can get them in third down, third and eight, third and seven. If it's third and two, or they get the first down on second down, it's not as big of an issue. Now you know they, they're without two. Of their defensive tackles on IR, uh, Roach and, and Huggins. But when the thing to me that stood out the most is that you knew when you can't stop a team that you know is going to run, like you know they're going to give it to Patterson of the middle and you still don't stop it, that, that's, that's some issues. Well, that, that drive that he finished off with a touchdown where, you know, he, I mean, he, dro- he drove through. Demario Davis and Pete Werner, they both got him short of the goal line and he plowed through him. 
But I honestly, I thought the defensive tackles were not the biggest issue. I didn't think they were terrible. Christian Ringo also got some reps, which yeah. I thought he was solid. But I, it's the ends that have a really hard time. And here you have a clip here that that I can go through. And you're not going to see this on the podcast, so I'll describe it. So you have this zone read here. So what the Falcons did really well is, you know, they don't just have the kind of the read option. They also make you make a decision on top of that because you have the fullback coming through. And so Cam is the read defender. He's unblocked, right. but he has to sit back and decide whether he's going to go over or under the arc block, right? And it's a really good scheme because you don't have a choice. You can't plow through him. You have to go one way or the other. So whatever he decides to do, if he goes over the top or if he tries to squeeze under, you're going the opposite way. And so what he tries to do at this point, because Marcus Mariota has been getting to the edge, he goes outside the arc block. So you give it to Cordero Patterson. You double team, you know, the defensive tackle on that side. And he has this gaping hole to run through. And, you know, I think that that's a scheme that's going to work against a lot of teams, but you just, you know, it's coming and you just have to find a way. You have to have like a linebacker scraping over and they just weren't able to do it. And I also think to some extent it runs the defensive ends ragged. So in the second half, yeah, you just don't have any wind left. And I think that's what you saw a lot of in that third quarter where they just, they just looked tired. They got blocked. That's what Dennis Allen said. Like, they blocked us, you know, um, they played better than we did. And I think that, you know, you're going to have to find a way to, to make an impact there. And I don't know. I just think it's not pretty what we're seeing. Well, when you get beyond the tackles, not defensive tackles, but so the defense combined had what, 65 tackles. And then you continued on the stat page to the right. It's almost non-existent until you get to the fumbles, right? So they had two tackles for a loss. One quarterback hit, no picks, two passes defensed. I mean, they're, they're, you know, that's those are the stats beyond the tackles where this team has 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 fared well. Sacks and pressures, quarterback hits and passes defense, non-existent other than tackles. They had a lot of them because Falcons ran it a lot because they had so much success. So it was it was that was disheartening certainly from a fan standpoint, just the inability to stop the run when you knew they were going to run it. Kind of, you know, we're going to, I'm going to flip briefly. When Taysom Hill comes in on a third and four and he's the quarterback, I started to say power QB right before he even got the ball. And I'm mm-hmm. like, how does Atlanta not know he's running QB power right? How do they not, how can they not stop that? I mean, you know what he's going to have is great blocking. And so, but it was great. You knew what was coming. And then my question, I asked Pete Comer, like, why don't we see that play 20 more times until we see Atlanta stop it? Like, we didn't really see it. I don't think we saw it again. We ran they, the, they, other, they ran other a than this drive. Yeah, they ran one more. They did run one more, I think. It was later in the game. I think it was in the third quarter. But so my counter to that would be, you know, it's really tough to get into a rhythm when you're not on the field. And at this point in the game, Jameis was not in a rhythm. He was not in a rhythm with Mike. He was not in a rhythm with, with Jarvis at that point. And you're not going to get into that rhythm standing on the sidelines. And you know, you're going to have, you're going to need him at some point. And I think that's when you're trying to make that decision, that's what makes it difficult is how many, how much are we going to keep Jameis out of the action? And is that at a certain point, I think you have to get 
to the to the level of yeah he's not going to be engaged he's not going to feel like he's in a rhythm if he's coming off the field so in this qb power i believe that's Jameis at the top that 57 yard run which was the longest run i think in since 2017 for the saints but yeah i i think one thing that stands out about that run is you go back and watch it and andrews pete does right. what he does best which I think a lot of people overlook this when you're when you're a guard for the Saints you have to pull you have to be able to pull a lot and he does that as well as anybody and a lot of people say well why why did they keep bringing Pete back why is he around that's a big part of why right I always I thought that when you see it in slow motion you wonder if he was going to get flagged for holding just because of the way he kind of wrapped him right he didn't but when you look at it in slow motion I just when I saw Taysom almost positive I saw Taysom on the field for the second two-point conversion. I'm like, they haven't stopped it. This, this is, you know, this is this should be Taysom power right or just whatever. Or just at least use him as a decoy. I just didn't understand that whole sequence. Like so, that was the yeah. most befuddling call. Deuce and I were like, what? It happened so fast. And then Trotman's called for motion or, or not being set. Anyway. Yeah, that was a that was an I didn't like that play call at all. What I would say in terms of Taysom is I think what you're trying to do with Taysom is you want to get them in a certain look, right? And if when you put him, you have him in the personnel and you want to force them to react. And as long as they're reacting, having him in the personnel at all is an advantage. If they stop reacting, then you hit him again with it. Um and I think that's probably what, you know, if I, I can go back at the film and watch it, I think whenever he was on the field, you had a heavier formation and you you were gearing up for QB power. And when it didn't happen, you were at a disadvantage, right? I think that's what the Saints want to do is they want to always be playing from ahead. And as long as you're reacting to Taysom being on the field, we're going to go the other way. That would be my kind of, my, my justification for why you didn't see it again. I'm sorry, but wasn't no, Troutman and Mark Ingram both involved in the Tennessee Titans two-point conversion, almost similar type. There was a not either mm-hmm. not shit illegal motion or something. I remember both. I just remember that two-point conversion. Where I remember Ingram and I remember Troutman being involved. It was well, Ingram was the target. He was the pass target, right? Yeah, that was Trevor right. Simeon in that game. I don't know. I can't envision the play, but it wasn't a run. But yeah, and Troutman was the guy who got called for the false start, I believe. Right. Um, on that point, anyway, so means nothing. Just for some reason, it clicked in my head. That's the way my wacky brain works. Well, I thought what was interesting is you didn't see Troutman much at all, and Vanette was inactive. Right. So if you if you wanted a ringing endorsement for Jawan Johnson, you got it. I I agree, and I, and I think, but I'm I, to me, you have two camps. You have a you have a Jawan camp and a non Jawan camp, and I've always been in the Jawan camp, and so it was. You know, even Deuce mentioned earlier, like he's not your target often this early in this game. He's not the guy, but he and I have not I just from, from reading articles and what people are saying that he also had a great job from a blocking standpoint. I just feel like he has skills from a former wide receiver that you can't teach most tight ends. Well, yeah, and and that's what you know. You're it's a lot easier to get him on the field if you trust him in the blocking game and. You know, I, I think you that's a message to Adam Trout. You know, he's not going to walk into that role. You have Taysom and Juwan there, and, you know, I think he only played like 25 snaps. My question would be, you know, was the blocking what you wanted? 
because it wasn't great. <laughs> so if I think you might revisit that, I almost wonder if if you would rather have Vanette than Troutman. I mean, if you're not throwing to Troutman, Vanette's a better blocker. So what what is Troutman providing? You know, that's that's my question. But they said they seem very. I said that in camp. They they seem like the same guy. They run the same. They were running at that point the same tight end screens, same type of plays uh, from a catching standpoint. So I, I kind of agree. I'm like they they seem so similar in their in their play. But it makes sense if you know you, why you would have one inactive in that in that circumstance. But okay, getting back to the defense because I did promise we were going to talk more about the defense. Oh, no. I do want to talk. One guy I want to talk about is is Justin Evans, and I asked Dennis about this yesterday, kind of what he felt. Because when I asked him earlier in the offseason, he said, you know, this isn't going to be a situation where you just pick one guy and say he's the slot DB now, right? They're going to adjust it week by week and based on the matchups. And, you know, in this matchup, you felt comfortable with Justin Evans. Um, yeah, well, in this particular game, there wasn't a lot of rotation in there. You know, I think P.J. got in for a few plays in that in that spot. I thought as the game wore on, I thought I thought Justin did a nice job. And so, look, we'll 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 uh, we'll take a look at at, uh, at what Tampa's doing, find out what the best matchups for us are, and we'll have a plan for them. So, I think Justin played like 55 snaps. I think he only allowed one catch. You know, he was lining up against tight ends, running backs in the slot, all these guys, and I thought he held up about as well as you could have hoped. And for a team that is suddenly trying to replace a guy who you know. You went through the entire offseason, think he was going to be a major piece of this defense in CJ Gardner Johnson. I think you have to be really encouraged with what you saw in Justin Evans. And the fact that he's one of those guys to me that played his way onto this football team. He wasn't given anything. He earned his way onto the football team prior to the CJ situation. And he's just a physical guy that made the pick in preseason. He plays hard, plays bigger than his, his size. He's not a rookie. He's got four years in his fourth year I, I agree I think I, I felt even during the preseason that this was a guy who, who could come in and help you just because of his physical play yeah he's he did a really good job of you know IDing the run so when you're a slot corner you have a few responsibilities that make it difficult to play right you have to be a primary run support player on a lot of you know the backside run plays where there's no weak side linebacker Right, you are the weak side linebacker when you are a nickel corner. You're taking a guy like Zach Bond, like Caden Ellis, off the field, and you are putting someone there who is better in coverage. But they can still run at you. You know, they, they can still run to the weak side, and you have to be able to hold up against Cordero Patterson, against Derrick Henry. You have to be able to make those tackles. So you have to be a strong tackler. A a willing tackler and not every cornerback in the league or every defensive back in the league, you're going to say that about. Um, and I, you could say that about CJ. I think Justin is showing you, you could say that about him. And, but that's only half the equation. You also have to be able to cover. You have to be able to match up with tight ends, with running backs, with, you know, all these speedy slot receivers. One guy you're probably not going to see next week, which I think is a big uh, advantage for the saints is Chris Godwin, a guy who CJ struggled to cover in that matchup last year before he got hurt. And so, you know, it makes it, it, it makes that a little easier. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Chris Godwin, I'm sorry, Justin Evans in that spot again. And, you know, I, I, you have to feel good for the guy, you know, he was a second round draft pick and he missed 
two years with injuries. You know, his his career was derailed. So it's good to see him, you know, like you said, play his way onto the roster and get an opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised down the road you find out that one of the reasons you were comfortable trading CJ or you felt like, you know, you can get away with trading CJ and is you felt comfortable getting him up there. And I think we saw through week one that, that that's the case and hopefully that continues. I agree. Now he had two passes defense. He had one of them. He's just a big physical guy, you know, and, and, and I, you know, he's hungry. Like you say, he missed those two years. You get guys like that and they just, they just like CJ, you know, just put, put their whole body and heart into it. So I'm, I'm eager to see more of what he can do. Yeah. And he's a Texas A&M guy. And when it comes mm-hmm. to Dennis Allen, that never hurts. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't it never hurts. <laughs> you know, like uh, half the coaching staff went to Texas A&M, right? Texas A&M and Ohio State players and Texas A&M staff. And he just gave Eric McCoy the bag, another Texas A&M guy. It's all it's all coming back. Ohio yeah, right. State is is the thing of the past. This is going to be a Texas A&M team. <laughs> you know, going going forward, kind of shifting a bit. Feel it feels weird to say this, but a matchup with Tom Brady is almost feels like it's what this defense needs, uh, which it's bizarre to ever say that, right? But just for kind of a shot in the arm, just confidence after getting run ragged in this game, I almost feel like being able to just go after a guy in the pocket and just tee off. A pocket passer. Right. You know where he's going to be. Yeah, right. You have a target and you're going to go get him. And I think that for this team, you know, just to build confidence and build steam, especially on the defensive line, I almost feel like that's that's a very convenient time to face Tom Brady if that time if that's such a thing exists. I agree, but I you have to you can only take shots at Brady if you're able to stop Fournette, you know, running the ball. If he runs the ball like he did against Dallas, and usually Fournette has hurt the Saints maybe more in the air, little short passes, little swing routes, little screens. But man, he ran the ball so well Sunday night. It was it was impressive. It's, uh, that to me, you got to be able to stop the run, or you're not going to get him in these third and six and eight and ten where you can really go after Brady, other than just blitzing him on obvious pass situations. So, yeah, yeah, and I thought again, I, I thought the interior rush actually handled things pretty well. One one uh, formation or one personnel grouping that I saw in there that I found intriguing was you had Kentavious Street, Shy Tuttle, David Onyemata. And then Cam Jordan from left to right. And then you had Marcus Davenport as like a stand-up rusher. That was in the first play of the second quarter, I think. It was like a third and one. And they got it by like a half inch. But I have a feeling like that's going to be your your big-bodied, your 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 beef uh, defensive line. And, you know, I, I, I've, I do think that Fournette poses a problem. But it's the type of problem this team is built to handle the playoff matchup is the one you look at is the game. He really kind of ate their lunch in, but the other matchups, I don't think he's been that much yeah. of an issue at all. I think he had nine rushing yards in that 38 to three beat down. I don't know what he did in the nine, nothing game last year, but again, I just think like whether he, whether you struggle to stop him or not, it's the type of matchup that you feel good about. I agree. There's nobody. You take Goblin out and they have Leonard Fournette, Keyshawn Vaughn, Giovanni Bernard. And Rashad White, who was the draft pick this year, I assume Scotty Miller will move into Chris Goblin's situation and Russell Gage, you know, Julio Jones, no matter where he goes, we play him. 
Uh, and he, he looked, he looked to me Sunday night, like Cordell Patterson did earlier in the day to me, Patterson prior to this year looked frumpy. He didn't look fast. He didn't look quick, but man on Sunday, he looked amazingly fast and amazingly quick out of the break and amazingly. And I thought the same thing about Julio. I thought Julio last year was kind of, you know, it just didn't feel like he, his heart was in it. It looked like a different person on Sunday night against Dallas. He ran the ball twice. Yeah. You don't see that from him much. But yeah, yeah. To, to kind of illustrate that, how it broke down, Leonard Fournette, 21 carries, Rashad White, six carries. Um, then, you know, a couple of guys got one carry, Julio got two. So, I, I mean, that's that's going to be your, your most likely kind of, you know, you're going to see a heavy dose of Leonard Fournette. I think that he's going to be used more in the passing game than he was last week against the Cowboys. It's also tough because you can't really glean too much from that tape because the Cowboys didn't put up a fight and they lost their quarterback, you know? So I don't want to assume tendencies in week two, but yeah, I think this is going to be a, a game where you have to, because I assume I'm, I'm assuming, but I do not feel like Paulson Adebo is going to be back this week. Maybe he, maybe he is. I think they're being I, uber I careful so. with an ankle injury after what you saw with Mike Thomas and the fact that you, you know, it's a long season. You want him at the end of it. But that's going to be a tough matchup for Bradley Roby. And if if you struggle in that game, I think that's where you're going to struggle is across from Marshawn. Marshawn's probably going to match up with Mike Evans, as he always does. And if they can beat up Bradley Roby on the opposite side, you're going to they're going to have a good chance in that game. Well, I mean, at least from Bradley's standpoint, you know what's coming, right? <laughs> you know, it's just like it was last week. They're coming to you. They're not going to Marshawn. I think Marshawn... When Marshawn was on Pitts and Drake London at one catch combined for six yards. So it's it's going to be that op corner who's going to get – the op corner, you know, when you look at Tampa now, I mean, they're tight ends, Kyle Rudolph, Cameron Bray, and two rookies. And other than Leonard Fournette, I mean, it's their wide receivers. I mean, it's that that's, 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 that's the strength of this team. I mean, beyond Mike Evans, you know, who's going to be uh, – is it going to be Julio? I think if, you know, Darden plays sparingly, I think Julio is going to be the guy. I agree. And uh, I, I I put this Bradley Roby interceptions package together last week. And uh, so let's, a good way to close this out will be uh, watching a a great interception of Tom Brady by Bradley Roby. Boom. But he got nine, he's got nine career. What's he 11. Nine, 11 career. He reminds me a lot of Jack Rabbit. I think that's probably why he brought him in. And he, the, there's an interception here against Jameis that is almost identical to the interception by Jack Rabbit against the Bucks in 2020. Pick six. Yeah, and they run the speed out, and he yeah. just undercuts it and goes in. <laughs> it's like if you didn't know any better, you would think this was Jack Rabbit running wow. this because it's the like identical. Uh, that, ball had a lot, that ball had a lot of air under it. I tell you, I don't think Jameis would would want to see. And that's a lot of air. Yeah, is that Scott? I think it might be Scotty Miller. Is the same guy the they targeted. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all if this was the tape <laughs> that Jack Rabbit saw where he was like, oh, they're all running the speed out. And I'm going to jump it because it looked identical. And he just yeah. went down the sideline. But anyway, you know, I, I think it's – if this matchup would feel, you know, kind of the come full circle here, this matchup with the Bucks would feel a whole lot different if you had dropped that Falcons game. So, <laughs> you know, you feel like even uh, this was the game I, I projected four and one in the first five weeks of the season. This is the game that I think, 
you know, this might be a Tom Brady just comes in and says like, okay, enough of this, you know, <laughs> I'm tired of this storyline. Right. And, uh, and so if you drop this, I think you're still comfortable, um, in, in the fact that I think you need to start well and be four and one and close at probably four and two, four and three. Um, and so because you were able to steal that game from the Falcons, you feel better about it. Um, but you know, if they can, if they can get out to a two and up start in this season, you know, with, without Paulson the Debo and, but otherwise pretty healthy, I think you start to feel really good about their chances, uh, down the, down the road. I, I would a hundred percent agree. Other than the fact that this team needs to find a way to start winning at home, right? I mean, they did not win at home in the months of November and December. That's, I mean, their, their home record has just been struggles street for two years, three years. Yeah. Great on, thank God they're great on the road, but it's time to kind of get some home wins. Yeah. And that was a big issue last year. And that's ultimately, ultimately, ultimately what kept them out of the playoffs. And if you want to pick one game, Giants week four, um, this Falcons game felt a lot like that Giants game. They managed, and the Saints were on the Giants side of it. Uh, all right. <laughs> but all right, I think that's where we can wrap it up. Again, I'm Jeff Nowak sitting here with Mike Haas, voice of the Saints. You can follow him at MikeHaasCom on Twitter. That's C O M M. Thanks so much, Mike, for filling in for Steve today. Hopefully, we can get Steve back for the final pot of the week. But yeah, I think this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on. Anytime, Steve, get better and. Let's go. Let's go. Go Saints on Sunday. 2-0 Saints. That was good.